0: Coming to you from various places around the world. This is the Global Exhibitor Podcast. The podcast designed to help exhibitors succeed internationally.
1: Yeah, it's this strong family and faith that's been able to help us get through all the stuff that we've, in all businesses, you go through yeah. a lot of challenges and that's just part of the world and uh, I'm very grateful that we've been able to get through them all, including yeah. our last big one with COVID.
0: <laughs> Your host for the Global Exhibitor Podcast is Jeff Hanna a designer, entrepreneur, business strategist, industry thought leader, and student of world cultures based in the United States. Here's your host, Jeff Hanna. Thank you, Craig.
2: I'm excited today to be interviewing a longtime friend of mine, Mark Johnson, who plays a number of roles in the industry and uh, is quite a, a veteran of the industry. He is the CEO of Star Exhibits and Environments, as well as the new owner of Exhibitor Media Group. He's been in the industry for over 35 years, but if you count where he started as a child, maybe more than that, but he's not that old. But anyway, overall, uh, just a fantastic person. He's a father, a husband, and a grandfather, an avid golfer, has impacted our industry in so many ways over the years, which we're gonna talk a little bit about, but excited to have Mark with us on the podcast today. Thanks, Jeff, I'm looking forward to it. Good. I know that uh, you made a pretty big splash earlier in 2022, actually, when you made the announcement that you were buying Exhibitor Media Group. I'm sure a few people were thrilled. Some people might not have been as thrilled. How's that gone so far?
1: You know, it's gone really well. Um, The industry really has embraced it along with the other associations. But yeah, you know, that actually started in March and April of this year. And it was just unfortunate that that was about to be extinct. Uh, and I just couldn't see Exhibitor go away. For all we've done with the educating the hundreds, or if not thousands and thousands of people through the CTSM program, and then the uh, live event and the activation with some of the uh, commerce that we've changed, uh, it's, it's been surprisingly well-received. There's been a lot of transition. Um, I think we talked a little bit uh, before on the fact that in June, we were taking over. We actually had ownership officially July 1st. And so after that, we were not gonna do an event in 2023. Uh, we were gonna take the year to make sure we put everything on in line and order, and so we would show up well for everybody. But we heard from the exhibitors and the sponsors and also the students that, no, we can't wait a year. So yeah. we quick did some work and uh, put together the Louisville solution, which is Exhibitor Live in April. Awesome.
2: Yeah, that, uh, we'll be here before we know it, I guess. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes because I know there's been some controversy around that decision. But, of course, what decision do we ever make that there's not some controversy around, right? So let's talk a little bit about some of the concerns people had because of your position owning an exhibit house or agency in in this industry and then also owning the media group in the conference. How did you approach dealing with that?
1: Well, actually, one of the first conversations I had was with EDPA. Uh, I really felt that this should have been an independent and maybe an association owned, but uh, they were in a position that all volunteer board, just it was, was impossible for them to conceive and be able to do it. I just didn't want it again to go away. So I wanna make sure it was first of all secured as a, a long-term entity for our industry. The concern is, yeah, as uh, some of the competitors, am I gonna get some any conflict of interest or confidential information? And really the, all the information that's generated through Exhibitor is for sale and lists of that. I'm not going to get anything that nobody else could get through the area with it. One of the other things we've done is we have really created a strong line between Star and Exhibitor. Uh, We've hired Dan Reynak, who is the president now of Exhibitor Media Group. And uh, Dan, I actually hired him a little bit before he was at Star, just because I had him placed for this position and wanted to move him into it. Thought he'd be ideal for it. Dan has actually got a background in education. He's a professor. Uh, He also is a longtime strategic planner for some of the major brands in the world. He worked for one of the largest advertising agencies in the world, and so he got to do that for about 20 years. He was a consultant at presenting strategy for some of the major brands we all work for. Yeah. So he's got a great background there, and also uh, he's got a media background, so it just seemed to make a lot of sense. And uh, when I got connected back with Dan, we did some work a long time ago, I thought it was worthwhile to bring him on Star, just in case this would happen, because it looked like it was a high probability, and you know, off we went.
2: Yeah, well, I've gotten to know Dan a little bit and had some conversations, and I know he is a very sharp guy and has a lot of uh, interesting and and insightful plans and and is excited about where things are going and and what you guys want to do. I know also we've had some conversations about your involvement in various industry associations. Paint a little bit of that picture for us about where you see that going and what you're thinking about?
1: Yeah, again, um, Exhibitor has done fabulous work. It's a global brand and it's done a lot with the education and we can talk more about that too, but the new opportunity is to be much more inclusive. Uh, Lee was a visionary when he put it together Mm -hmm. and he had his way of doing it and it wasn't always inclusive to the other associations. I think that that's a huge opportunity for us. We're all part of this ecosystem. So my role going forward, the one thing that Dan doesn't have is direct industry experience. And he's been in trade shows and that, but really all the, what ESCA is and IAE and all those other associations. So that's the role I will continue to play to make sure that uh, Exhibitor continues to grow and include all these associations and how can we partner together with it. So I've already met with most of them. We're putting plans together today on how we can be more and more partners. And again, we've got some announcements with EDPA and some of the partnerships we're doing with them too, but there's so many parts of this industry that globally that we can help each other with.
2: Yeah. Well, and you did announce one thing recently in just in the last few weeks about the CTSM program. So uh, I was excited to hear that because I think that, that makes a lot of sense on various levels, but maybe talk a little bit about what's happened with the CTSM program in relation to EDPA.
1: Yeah, EDPAs come to us and asked if we could help them with their education part of it. And because we've got the platform and everything in place, we're like, yeah, we'd love to figure out how to do it. So in a lot of cases, we're looking if we have to actually put a whole new segment together or education platform, or do we just partner with them and tweak some of the conferences or, or presentations we're doing? So we are agreed to do work with EDPA and how we can make sure that that's secure and help both organizations become uh, more successful for our members. That's great. And
2: let's talk a little bit about the future of of things with the magazine and the whole media group in terms of education and so on. It has been a very strong brand and as you guys are kind of looking toward the future, can you talk a little bit about where you see that going also and the kind of ways that it might evolve?
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, i want to read our mission statement. At Exhibitor, our mission is to provide the exhibitor and event marketing professionals With the tools and education produce high performing programs with measurable results that's been the mission that'll continue to be the mission what we want to do is to reimagine that and grow that area we're going to continue to do it through insight which you mentioned is the magazine some of our online programs we've got how-to articles we're going to add some on-demand videos and podcasts like we're doing here but also some like live from CES pieces and anything that we can do to really help bring those tools and best practices for our professionals that we're working for. As you mentioned, the education program is extremely strong. The CTSM program will continue. Uh, We're continuing with the live event, but also fast tracks. And we're looking beyond the CTSM. What can we do even in the area of global certification? Besides that, we also know that it's a huge platform for commerce. So how do we make sure that we bring the customers together with the suppliers and do that in a very equitable way. Uh, We've got the live event, Uh, we do have a Euro shop, so we are going to be present there and make sure we have a space and any of our students or uh, sponsors and such can use that as a home base. But in addition to that, we are launching what we're calling Exhibitor Exchange. And it's uh, even a stronger tool to bring the community together of the professionals but also with the commerce, so where they can find the suppliers that they really need to support their programs and such. The other arm that we're really excited about is we wanna be much more within the community, and how do we bring the other programs and parts of the organization, or I should say the industry, that we all need to be successful. We're having great conversations with the exhibitor advocacy group, and how can we help support them and and their growth and what they're trying to accomplish, along with women in exhibitions, And then I think it's EMMC, if I've got it right, but it's DAX we're working with. He's leading a measurement program over in the UK. And it's where can we get all of the data that's going on, the measurement that comes out of these events and share it with each other so we have some standards or at least some benchmarks to measure our programs on. But in addition to that, as you mentioned, it's SEER, IAEE, HCEA, ESCA, UFI, I mean, all of the alphabet soup, but it really is a big industry. Uh, you know, like we said, over $14 trillion. And how do we make sure we help each other yeah. uh, protect this ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I think that's really important. And that's uh, something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. We've recently developed a course that we're doing called Trade Show 101. And part of that, we talk about the various industry associations and the different roles that they play. So they all have their focus, but on some levels, and at certain times, it does feel like, we're kind of uh, splintered and going about trying to accomplish the same things, but doing it separately as opposed to collaborating together. So it sounds like you're kind of looking at it holistically as well and what role that Exhibitor can play in that.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a big role that Exhibitor can play. It does have a unique position to be that independent source of best practices and data and research uh, that we can help support the other associations. Uh, But how do we help the industry continue to grow with that? Yeah. yeah. We take that that. responsibility seriously and want to make sure we protect that.
2: It sounds exciting. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. You also mentioned about Exhibitor being a global brand, which it is a strong global brand, and I know there's a number of attendees that come to the live show every year from overseas. Can you talk about the importance of that and where you're thinking about taking this? Because I know you have some ideas about that, so.
1: Yeah, I have a very strong international uh, interest, as we'll talk about too, I'm sure, but uh, it surprised me when we started to do some of the research and look at the data, uh, there's almost 30% of our website traffic all the time is outside the US. And additionally to that, we have over 30% of our members who are attending Exhibitor Live are outside the US. And so we're excited about that. And we know, as you said, it's a global brand. So we're trying to figure out how we can get global certification. Uh, we are looking at the different cities we're gonna go to. And one of our fast track ideas for next year is even in the UK. So they've been talking about it for some time. and we're hoping we can figure out a way to do that. We've had some requests from the Asia market too, so that's gonna be our next area to take a look at.
2: Yeah, that'll be exciting. And speaking of different locations, one of the things that we talked a little bit about is uh, the fact that you'll be having the show in April of 2023 in Louisville. Do you see that trend continuing where you're going to go to different geographies around the U.S. as well, as opposed to just going back to, to Vegas?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, you know, first of all, Vegas, uh, Mandalay Bay was really putting the squeeze on the, on the program. If we would have stayed in Vegas, it was a 37 percent increase in costs. That's a big number. I was one like everybody, I'm sure, that when Lee first told me Louisville, I was like, are you crazy? Uh, but we've fallen in love with Louisville. I did the site inspection. The Kick Center is a brand new facility that they've just redone recently, beautiful facility. Louisville itself is a great town to uh, have an activation, an event, or a trade show in. So we think that's gonna be great. It instilled into me my uh, belief that I learn through experiences. Mm-hmm. And I really like the concept of that. So we are very much going forward with multiple cities, different locations, yep. and we wanna go to places that have a new opportunity or new venue. The best example I can give you with that is we are negotiating with Dallas right now for 2031. I don't know if you know, but Dallas is gonna totally redo their convention center and their whole area there to make it a destination very similar to what they're trying to do a Vegas or a Nashville and make it a whole new destination with all hotels and activations with it. It will be done in 2030, and we'd like to be one of the first groups there in 2031. I think that's where we can really bring to this industry and our um, students, if they can go and experience it firsthand, uh, that'd be a big area. For sure.
2: Well, it'll definitely um, add some flavor to the whole experience, right? So we'll have um, other places to get to experience and explore. I'm sure you know some people will be interested in bringing their families and so on so they can do some activities during the day,
1: so. Yeah, it surprised me. We get surveys after every event, as you can imagine, and over the years, the number of people, it's almost 90% that requested to leave Vegas and not go back because we do so many shows in Vegas, so do we really need to go there? Uh, and we're getting resounding uh, support from, um, definitely the students are really looking forward to Louisville and going to different destinations so they can bring their team. One of the comments I heard is my team can't afford to do all these fam trips to all these cities. So if we can do it and tie it into our education, this'd be a great thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously where our students go, uh, there are end customers. So then the suppliers will follow and it'll make good sense for all of us. Yeah.
2: I know you have a a strong interest in international. We talked a little bit about that, and and I think I actually did work for your company some years ago. We were trying to think about that the other day and couldn't quite put my finger on it, but somehow you developed the international bug, I guess, and and started doing international projects. So how did that kind of happen for you?
1: You For me personally, it actually really happened the first year we started Star. So back in 93, our commitment was to really be an extension of our clients' marketing departments and they started to make some requests to go outside the U.S. And to be honest, a lot of the industry was unaware of it and a little bit of afraid of it. Mm-hmm. So we just jumped in with both feet to really figure out how to expand and learn that area. And our first year in existence, we did over two dozen activations outside the U.S and just started to fall in love with that process with it.
2: Well, and that's great. I know that with your international involvement and your association involvement, having been the former president of EDPA and been really involved in the formation of EDPA International Chapter, uh, which you still are involved in that, and, and I am too. Can you talk a little bit about how those association involvements came about, especially in relation to the international
1: piece of that? Yeah. Uh, again, when we got involved with the industry, any my standard practices, I've got to get involved and get in deep. I'm, a, I'm an A personality and the firstborn and uh, January Capricorn, so uh, I go in deep whatever I do. And so I first discovered EDPA right when we started the company, And I got involved with the first event that I could go to and ended up joining the board. And during that process, uh, one of the board meetings, we had to vote on uh, updating or renewing our IFAS membership. And back then, IFAS was a federation, and it only had members were from associations. And at that point, EDPA didn't see the value, and it was a tight time with some budgets, and they were looking to let that membership go. Uh, Dalton Jenkins was really the first voice of it. Who said, "No, no, no, we can't do that," and he saw the value in it right away. And I found a passion for it, so I didn't really know the full value. But I said, "Oh, I've got to do this too." So uh, we came up with an idea with the board to do this international chapter. Uh, we raised the funds to pay for the dues for IFIS, and we just started from there. And we've had, you know, several countries and. 40, 50 members over the years. And I don't even know what the membership is today, but yeah, I'm still on the committee there and get to be a part of those phone calls and love that international activation. Then we go with it. And I threw a name at you a little while ago. Uh, it reminded me of Ingrid Boyd was the first person I yeah. talked to about international was when we were starting the company and, uh, one of my earlier trips over there and man, did she turn me on to what the world could be. And, uh, it helped me too. As I think one of the books I read back then was the world is flat. Yeah. And it really turned into the fact that I want to do business and I want to do it all over the world.
2: Yeah. Thomas Friedman. That is a great book. It really is a good one. He's written a few other ones since then too, but I, I really particularly like that one as well because it really outlined kind of how things have happened globally. And uh, yes, Ingrid Boyd, haven't heard that name in a little while, So, but uh, quite an influential person in her own right in the mm-hmm. industry. So that's great. How did you get started in this industry in the very early days, like really early days? Yeah, like well, in the beginning, little-
1: uh, <laughs> I was telling you that, uh, you know, I started as a salesperson for Display Masters and fell in love with the industry. But then I went, oh, my gosh, I actually started in this industry at 10 years old. Uh, my dad and my uncle were manufacturer reps, and I was traveling with them setting up their trade show exhibit. And these were 10 by 20s, but they were just tabletops, so we had different sized boxes. We threw bed sheets over them and put products on them. And uh, my mom was a sign maker uh, back then by hand, and so she would do the sign that we could put up. And I didn't realize back there at uh, 10 years old this would be an industry I'd spend my life in, but it's been a great uh, gift, and I've been very grateful for it.
2: Oh, that's amazing. I think that's the person with the youngest starting time that I've had (laughs) on the podcast so far. Going back to the Display Masters and all that, you worked there, and you were in sales, and then you decided to branch out and start your own company, Star.
1: Yeah, um, Streep Gregerson was the owner of Displaymasters, and he just had a different path. We'd helped grow the company from 3 million to 10 million in a couple years, and he really wanted to go back. Uh, he was a banker, and the risk was a little bit different for him, and uh, so Tom Pekacek and I, Tom was my general manager at Displaymasters. Uh, we quit our job uh, June 15th, uh, and I'm very proud of how we did it. We didn't take any employees or clients or anything with that, but we are also very naive. So within three weeks, We were able to convince a bank to give us a loan, and we found a building, and we moved in, and we started up, and we actually opened up uh, July 5th of 1993.
2: Wow, that's pretty amazing that you could pull that off. That would be, I think, really hard to do these days, but...
1: I think it is, and then, you know, the other challenge that, uh, it was a great opportunity, but, you know, three months after we started the company, Tom, at 37, died suddenly. He died within a week, and all of a sudden now I'm not only just sales and marketing, but I have to learn the old operations, and I'm now dealing with legal issues or whatever the case is with it. And just a whole new, it was a full fire hose for a good two years to make sure I was learning how to run the business.
2: Can imagine. But you've been successful in doing that and grown star into the agency that it is today. So I think um, that seems to have gone really
1: well. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm proud of what the team's been able to do. And I've said before, too, though, it's really lonely at the top and being a sole owner. uh, Sometimes you really wish you had somebody to bounce some ideas off. So I miss Tom greatly. And there's many days that uh, uh, we think about him. Actually, uh, November 8th, that we just passed, it was the day he died back in
2: 93. Well, I know that was difficult times. And uh, the unexpected things that we run into in in business and in life that you don't know what's gonna happen next, so.
1: Yeah, it's the strong family and faith that's been able to help us get through all the stuff that we've, and all businesses, you go through a lot of challenges and that's just part of the world. And uh, I'm very grateful that we've been able to get through them all, including our last big one with COVID. (laughs) Yeah, true.
2: knowing the kind of person you are. Not everybody knows all the things that you've been involved in, behind the scenes even. Helping the industry, working to make sure certain things happen, making sure the right people are in place or the funding was there, whatever. Um, can you talk a little bit, whatever you're willing to share about some of the stuff you've done with, say, the EDPA Foundation and, and some of that?
1: Yeah, um, again, uh, Minnesota, Scandinavian, Lutheran, we're a little humble we're not supposed to talk about those things, but I am very proud of the work that we've been able to be a part of and that I was included in. Uh, Gwen Parsons and Norm Friedrich were one that really started the education program many years ago and even goes back to uh, Gary Stewart. We had another university yeah. that was involved in it. They didn't make it, but we did start uh, as we still have in program today with BSU or Bemidji State and FIT. With BSU, we go way back to Kerman who actually started the program And we were up there meeting with the kids and making them aware of what this industry was and the opportunity they would have for it. And now that my team does a pretty good job coordinating with them, actually helping them write the curriculum and doing a lot of the program development with them and FIT, Uh, but I I love being a part of that. And wherever we could, we were helping out there with a foundation It was actually Gene Winther and um, Ray Montag. It was their first real passion, and they wanted to set something up that we could do and help everybody. So we actually had our first meeting in a cold Minnesota January up in our building and started to put that together with the same group of past presidents, with Gwen and Norm and several others. Now, there's been a lot of people that have picked up the ball since then and really made it what it is today. Mm -hmm. Uh, The foundation's purpose is to really be the giving arm for EDPA. And they wanted to do some things that help the industry, I should say, granting scholarships, working with those colleges. Even like uh, right now, we're giving a substantial donation to the Randy Smith each year and supporting that charity. I'm proud of what we're doing in the foundation is giving out the individual scholarships and the colleges, partners that we have there. Uh, We've been a part of the grantor program. So I was one of the founding grantors and the foundation now has crossed over the million dollar mark as an endowment. And the model is set up to be an endowment model where that million dollars is meant to stay on and continue to move on as a legacy forever. And the interest and the uh, excess money we get for donations each year, then we're using that to do our good works.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And it is a really good thing. I, I just love to see the faces and reactions of people from different walks of life who've either lost loved ones in the industry or things like that. They've fallen on hard times or have diseases hit their family and uh, skyrocketing medical bills or educational needs whatever so you guys have done tremendous work and that's really appreciated and, and a good thing
1: no I appreciate that and as right now I am still the treasurer in the foundation and enjoy my role there so I get to actually write the checks. so oh, that's, that's cool. kind of fun yeah, to do <laughs> that's neat. yeah
2: you mentioned uh, FIT I don't always get to go in person to judge their capstone event but have been invited over the years but the star award that they have is something that you were behind that too right yeah I
1: mean, that shows you how far we go back i mean it was really when they were beginning and they were trying to give out an award and they came to us and to try to entice us to do it, it was like hey how about we do a star award and so we still do that every year and it's a great little uh, honor that we get to participate and give out those awards and I did share with you, it's kind of funny sometimes to see my competitor have the star Ward in their lobby, Yeah, uh, that's it's, great. but it, it's great to recognize them for the work that they've done. It's a great organization. Both of them are, uh, we've done an awful lot. When we started the program way back with Gary, we couldn't find enough designers in the industry. Yeah. And now that both the schools produce some really good, talented people that are not only good designers, but they're ready to go and make presentations the next day
2: absolutely no we've hired some of them too they're great and i've been involved with both of those programs a little bit as a designer myself so that's been quite rewarding and uh, we need more programs like that too for the industry because as you know we're all all of us have been working on various things to try to recruit more people into the industry that that's not limited to our industry but every industry basically there's something like 1.7 open jobs for every working person so quite a need for people.
1: Yeah, we, we see that continuing. Everything we're reading is that's going to be an issue for the next three to five years, you know. So we just got to figure out how we do it as an industry, continue to educate people what this industry is. You know, we've talked about it. This is a $14 trillion secret. Nobody really knows what's <laughs> yeah. going on. And yeah. some of the other work we were able to do and support EDPA this last year is through, or COVID the last couple of years is the advocacy program. And we actually uh, hosted Dean Phillips is the chair, of the small business committee in Washington. And he actually hosted a town hall in our facility. And then he came back a few months later and did a um, undercover boss kind of deal so he could actually Mm -hmm. see what the industry was like. And so I think we've done a pretty good job of helping send the message. Obviously, we want to continue to do that work. And there's a lot of work we have to do when you're the best kept secret in a long time. Yeah. It takes a lot to tell that story.
2: <laughs> That's right. And we are in the industry of telling stories, but you know, ours is quite secret. Uh, I wanna close with this. What do you see for the future? Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, many of us were coming into 2020 with record years and then COVID hit when it was a major step backwards, but we're definitely seeing the re-engagement. There's just so much work out there and everybody I talked to just can't keep up. Uh, We do see that there's a possibility of a little bit of a recession, but all the data we have are showing that that's going to be very short and very shallow if it does happen. The U.S. economy is in so much better shape than the rest of the world. And again, there's a lot of different factors. Like you said, with the unemployment rate being so low, uh, Mm -hmm. that's just going to keep fueling a lot of the stuff as we go forward. So we do see that uh, the re-engagement is there. This is still the best vehicle to do business and market your product. So the trade industry, I think, is going to continue. There will be another economic downturn down the road. We always have those. But, again, you can just see how resilient this industry is. So we see a great future, and we're excited about it.
2: Well, I like your assessment of it being shallow and low and quick. Let's go with that. I'll take that. So, And on that note, uh, Mark, I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know I've seen you off and on throughout the day from breakfast on, and you're quite busy doing calls and meetings and all of that. And we are live broadcasting today from the Exhibitor Fast Track Providence session here at the lovely yep. Hotel Providence. Uh, which is usually where this is held, but uh, excited to be here with you. And uh, thanks for your time today.
1: I really appreciate it. And Jeff, thank you for all you're doing for the industry. It's great work. And uh, we all have to work together to keep going. All right.
2: Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks. We like to remind people that all business is conducted within the context of culture. So each episode provides insights to help marketers understand the cultures they're trying to reach and strategies for building bridges across cultural divides. If you like the Global Exhibitor podcast, please share it with others, subscribe to it, and rate it on iTunes. We greatly appreciate the feedback. Please also check out our website and blog at www.globalexhibitor.com. And finally, if you or someone you know would make an interesting guest on this podcast, please let us know by sending an email to guest at globalexhibitor.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.